you please open your Bible to Acts chapter 9? The sermon we'll be considering Dorcas, in a sermon I've entitled, A Lady Doing Practical Things. If a ministry in the church was named after you, and the reason for the name is because this personified you, everybody knew you to be this kind of person, or when they thought about this particular ministry, they thought of you. Okay, what would be the ministry description bearing your name? Would it be positive or would it be negative? Now, would it be a ministry to those who are never in church that bears your name because you're never in church? Would it be a children's ministry that's named after you because you've always been involved in ministering to children? Would it be outreach ministry because your name is synonymous with evangelizing? Would it be a ministry aimed at stamping out gossip because everybody knows you as a notorious gossip? Would it be a discipleship ministry because you're known for, for your passion to get beside others and help them develop in the faith? Would it be a ministry to dealing with complaints because you're known to be a chronic complainer okay what would everyone assume the ministry to be about since it bears your name if a ministry was named brendan that's me if you don't know what would you assume that particular ministry to be about since it's named after me now please don't answer aloud you might hurt my feelings but what would the ministry be that's named after you now, our next hero that we're considering is a lady who, to this very day, has ministries named after her. Uh, this lady is Tabitha, also known as Dorcas. And many churches, including our own, have a ministry named after her. Throughout history, there have been many Dorcas societies. In fact, some dictionaries offer a definition of a Dorcas society, and it describes the ministry of this dear lady as found in our text. So imagine 2,000 years on and there are still ministries named after you. Okay, that says much about the quality of this lady. Now we meet Dorcas in Acts chapter 9. But before we consider her story, I'd like to spend a few moments setting the contextual and theological background of this chapter. Now, it's important to pay attention to the surrounds and not ignore the context in which her account is situated. Okay, Acts chapter 9 is incredibly significant because it contains the conversion of Paul. Okay, so far, that the focus of Acts has been predominantly on Peter and his ministry. But now we have this dramatic conversion of the chief persecutor of the church okay, and the one who would go on to play a key role in the expansion of the church and upon having his conversion reported at the beginning of chapter 9 and following that through okay, we expect that the story to continue following Paul but then the focus comes back to Peter in the closing sections of this chapter and it seems that Luke, who's the writer of Acts, in arranging the material in this way, is, is wanting us to see that, that Peter and Paul, they're not doing two different things. 
Okay, blending them together is a way of showing harmony. Okay, they're preaching the same gospel. But the main point of this healing miracle of Dorcas and the healing of Aenas that preceded it is actually preparing Peter for what was coming. In Acts chapter 10, Peter meets Cornelius okay, and he has the dream. And this is a very significant moment because it's all about the inclusion of the Gentiles in the church. And this was massive. Okay, this was a gigantic stumbling block to the Jews. And it was going to take the heaviest machinery, the most powerful dynamite to break down these walls of prejudice. And it's hard for you and I to grasp how big of an issue this was and how monumental Acts 10 truly is. And hence, Acts chapter 9 is all about preparing Peter for this great turning point. And this preparation contains at least two elements. Okay, the first is the miracles confirmed his ministry. Okay, these two miracles that he performed were evidence that the Lord was with him. Okay, it was proof that he was a true apostle. And this was significant because many would try and deny the inclusion of Gentiles. Surely that couldn't be from God, but it would be a lot harder to deny it when it came from the mouth of Peter. Because these miracles demonstrated that he was from God and hence his message was reliable. Now the second element of preparation is that this is breaking down Peter's Jewish bias and prejudices. In this chapter, Peter is ministering in areas that are at least partially Gentile. So, so he's ventured out of the Jewish heartland of Jerusalem. And then we read in verse 43 that he stays with a tanner. Now, you and I read that and think, okay, what's a tanner, first of all? And why is it significant that he's staying there? Well, we need to understand that Jews regarded a tanner as ritually unclean. Okay, so this is huge. Here is Peter, a Jew, staying with this guy. And this is the Lord slowly chipping away at Peter's potential hesitancy to embrace the Gentiles in the church. So this was vital preparation for what was coming. So that's the contextual and theological framework, which helps us to understand how this account of Dorcas fits both into the puzzle of Acts and into the biblical metanarrative. So with that big picture in mind, what I'd like to do now is zoom right in. And I want to construct a biography of the life and ministry of Dorcas. The approach, very simple. Three headings, two are exposition, one is application. The three headings are life lived, life lost, and life lessons. So let's begin to construct a biography of Dorcas. First heading, life lived. The most important thing for us to identify about Dorcas is that she was a disciple. And it's instructive that this is identified. Verse 36 says, a certain disciple named Tabitha. Now what's interesting is that this is the only time in the New Testament that this Greek word translated disciple is used in the feminine form. She's not the only female disciple. But it seems significant that this particular term is only ever used of her in the feminine form. Now, when we read that she's a disciple, it simply means she's a follower of Jesus. 
Today we would say she is a Christian. Okay, this is who she is. This was a part of her identity. She had placed her faith and trust in Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And now she was living for her Lord. And it would be neglectful of me not to ask you the question, okay, are you a disciple of Jesus? Or what I mean by that is, have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Okay, have you acknowledged that you've sinned? That you've rebelled against God, that you've broken God's law, and that you're wicked, that, that you're depraved, and that you deserve God's punishment? Have you acknowledged that? Have you admitted that and then turned from that to Christ, believing that he is God and that he died, was buried, and rose again, and he did that for your sin, and now you're depending on him alone? My friend, that's how you become a Christian, that's how you're made right with God. That's how Dorcas become a Christian. And I trust you're a Christian as well. So this is the first thing that we learn about the life lived by this lady. She was a follower of Jesus. Okay, and understand this was the governing principle of her life. She lived for the Lord. Yeah, and this is the lens through which we should view her life. This is the most significant aspect of her biography. Okay, everything that she does is because she's a Christian. Okay, let's continue to build her biography. We see that she's given two names. Tabitha, which is Aramaic, and Dorcas, which is Greek. And they actually mean the same thing. It speaks of a gazelle or an antelope. Or a doe, okay, a female deer. And, and this was actually very complimentary. Maybe it doesn't sound like that to us, but it was. It's interesting, in Song of Solomon, twice when he's describing his beloved, he calls her a doe. And in the Septuagint, it's actually translated Dorcas. Now, I wouldn't recommend we men use that one. I'm not convinced the ladies would appreciate being called a Dorcas. I don't think we're swept away by the poetry of Song of Solomon today, but in the Bible, this was complimentary, and it possibly reveals some positive qualities about this lady. So there's her name. We're also told that she was from Joppa, verse 36. Now, there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha. Okay, Joppa was a mixed community, contained both Jew and Gentile. It was the ancient seaport for Jerusalem. Okay, when Solomon built the temple, cedar was brought from Lebanon through Joppa, 2 Chronicles 2.16. And there's another famous mention of Joppa in the Old Testament. Perhaps this is the one that comes to your mind. A certain prophet went to Joppa to hop in a boat and went the opposite direction. Of course, that was Jonah. So it was here where this lady lived. Okay, we're told nothing about her upbringing or marital status. It, it seems a fair deduction from the text that she was a wealthy lady. Okay, this enabled her to, to do what she did. And we also learn she had a soft spot for widows, which could imply that she was a widow. Okay, and that would make sense because there was no family present when she died, okay, which we'll get to soon. Okay, but there isn't a lot of clear-cut background information given. 
But what we are told is what she did. And it's this that made her famous. Okay, verse 36. She was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. That's a wonderful description. Okay, she was full of good works. Okay, picture a bucket that is so full of water that, that it's spilling over the top. Okay, that, that was her. Her life was so full of kind and caring deeds toward others. She was also full of alms deeds. This Greek word is usually used of giving money. So it's speaking of donations to those in need. And I want you to notice that the last three words, verse 36, which she did. That's an interesting inclusion. Okay, she actually did it. So these were not just things that she merely thought about. It wasn't the case of, man, I, I wish I could give some money to those widows. Or wouldn't it be great if somebody would supply that person a meal? Nor was it all kind sentiments. Okay? She wasn't just all about words, but she actually did something. And there's a lesson there for us. We can't merely think and talk about charitable and loving deeds, but we actually need to do it just like Dorcas. Okay, she was generous in helping others. Generous with her time, talents, and money. She's all about serving and helping others practically. She spends her life helping those in desperate need. And we read in verse 39 that she had made clothes for widows. So she used her practical talents and abilities to show care for others. Okay, she was loving others, and this was proven by her practical deeds. And we could say that her caring and kind deeds was love personified. It was the gospel illustrated. Her life had been so touched by the grace and compassion of God that as an outflow, okay, kind deeds were extended to others. Okay, so this was her life. She was devoted to showing the love of Christ through practical care and help. That's her life lived. Secondly, as we continue to construct her biography, we see life lost. A tragedy strikes in Joppa. A death is not a respecter of persons. It knocks on everyone's door, and we never know when that knock may come. And it seems that death knocked on the door of Dorcas earlier than expected. Okay, verse 37, it's actually quite abrupt. It's matter of fact. It says she was sick and died so this dear lady who had served others faithfully and sacrificially she got ill and she died okay, and that reminds us that serving the lord doesn't make you immune from sickness and suffering but what's interesting is what happened next okay her body was washed verse 37 so it was cleaned up for burial as per custom but notice it wasn't buried but rather it was laid in the upper room of her home. And what makes this particularly interesting is that in the Old Testament, on two occasions where somebody was raised from the dead, their body was laid in the upper room. Okay, in 1 Kings 17, 19, this is Elijah with the widow of Zarephath. Her son died and Elijah laid him in the upper room and he was brought back from the dead. In 2 Kings chapter 4, the son of the Shuamite was laid in the upper room, and he too was raised from the dead. 
And this leads some scholars to speculate that this unusual placing of the body in the upper room, it could well express hope that she would be raised again. Okay, that, that may be true, or it could be that the normal Jewish burial customs were not practiced at Joppa. But even if we can't draw these parallels with the Old Testament, there's a definite parallel with the raising of the daughter of Jairus. And we, we will see this. And what's very interesting is that Luke's in his gospel says that it was only Peter, James and John who were present with this miracle. Okay, when Jesus raised the daughter of Jairus from the dead. It's recorded in Luke chapter 8. Okay, so Peter was there. And it seems that this was on his mind in our text, as we'll see. But before we get to that, we need to backtrack just slightly. Okay, so Dorcas has had her body prepared. It's laying in the upper room, okay, verse 37, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And there was much weeping that a lot of people were devastated that this lady had died. But someone had a thought. And they said, well, why don't we send for Peter? Verse 38. Okay, that they had heard that he was in the neighboring city. That they had heard about the amazing miracle that had been performed. So why not send for him? And again, we don't know exactly what they were expecting. Because it wasn't commonplace in Acts for people to be raised from the dead. So, so maybe they were hoping for this. Maybe they weren't. But it seems likely that they thought if anything was possible, Peter was the man. So they sent for Peter. Two men were sent. Verse 38. The village where Peter was located was around about a 15 kilometer journey. So they went and they sought him and pleaded that he would come quickly. You know, thankfully for them, Peter obliged. He departed with them. Now, I wonder what was running through Peter's mind as he was taken back to Joppa. No doubt he was asking many questions to gauge the situation. No doubt he was praying a lot of silent prayers as he made this journey. But once Peter arrived at Joppa, he was immediately taken to Dorcas. And he was met by a group of distraught widows, verse 39. And Peter does something very interesting. He asks them to leave the room. Okay? And this is what Jesus did with the daughter of Jairus. Okay? He sent most of the people outside. So there's the first similarity. Here's the next one, and this one's striking. Okay? In the miracle of raising Jairus' daughter, Jesus said, Talitha kumi. Peter said, Tabitha kumi. Okay? There's only one letter difference. So it seems what Peter witnessed years earlier was on his mind, that there's definite similarities. And the most obvious similarity is this, Dorcas was raised. And what joy must have filled the house. Try, try and picture the commotion when they all see Dorcas. Kate's okay, tears of grief change to tears of joy. She's alive again. How amazing. What an astonishing miracle. This dear lady was dead, but now she was alive. Now, I'd like to make two theological points that answer questions that can arise from this particular miracle. The first theological point is about resurrection. 
Okay, there are several cases throughout Scripture where somebody is raised from the dead. And yet, the resurrection of Jesus is referred to as the first fruits, which means the first of its kind, 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, so it's the first of its kind, and yet it's not the first resurrection. How are we to understand that? Okay, well, with Dorcas, although the same Greek word is used of her resurrection, that is, of Jesus' resurrection, okay, and that's important because it informs us that she really died. Okay, and hence, here, what the Lord has done through Peter, it's a legitimate miracle. Okay, this is not some sleight of hand, it's not some mass deception. But, but here's the key difference. Dorcas was raised, but would die again. Okay, anyone who was raised from the dead in the Bible was not raised into a glorified body and they would die again. Okay, the son of the widow of Zarephath, he died again. The son of the Shuamite, he died again. Lazarus, he died again. Dorcas, she died again. Whereas when Jesus arose, it was into a glorified body that would never die. Okay, that's the first of that type of resurrection. Okay, that's why Jesus' resurrection is referred to as the first fruits, and it's this that awaits you and I. So that's the first theological point. The second is about miracles. Now, it's instructive in this text that they sent for Peter. They needed an apostle, capital A, apostle. An ordinary believer did not possess the ability only those invested with apostolic power by Jesus could do such things. And hence, such ability ceased with the apostles. And also notice that the result of the miracle. We need to understand that miracles are never performed merely for the sake of it in the Bible. Okay, God is not some show pony who just likes to show off cool tricks. But rather, there's always a purpose. There's always an intention behind divine miracles. And it's revealed in verse 42 that many believed in the Lord. Okay? And that's why there were miracles in the book of Acts. It was all about authenticating the gospel message. But since we today have the complete scriptures, there is no longer a need for such sign miracles. This doesn't mean that God can't perform miracles. He most certainly can. But there are no healing or tongue gifts today like in the apostolic era. Why? Because we have the scriptures. We have the complete canon of scripture and that is more excellent. Okay, this is known as the cessationist position and it's here where we stand as a church. So with the theology laid down, okay, let's again try and engage our imaginations. Let's, let's put ourselves in the narrative. Okay, what would have been going through the, the mind of Dorcas? Have you ever thought about that? What it would be like to be dead and then be alive again? I, I'm not sure what that would be like. I, I'm not sure what, what would be going on in your mind. Okay, we, we can only speculate about that, but there must have been a real celebration that night. Because imagine if you lost a loved one. And then they were miraculously raised. That that would be a call for a party. And although we're not told, it seems very likely that Dorcas continued serving like previously. 
And it's interesting that she is only one of a few instances in Acts where the dead was raised. It's interesting that Stephen wasn't raised. The Apostle James wasn't raised. And yet this dear lady was. The Lord still had a plan for her. There was more practical deeds to be done, more love and care to be extended. So this lady whose life was lost could now live it again. So this is the amazing life of Dorcas. And it has much to teach us, and this will make up our third point, which is entitled Life Lessons. And there are three lessons that I want to extract from the life and example of Dorcas. Lesson number one, new life is to be used for the benefit of others. A new life is to be used for the benefit of others. Dorcas was raised from the dead. That's an astonishing miracle. And although there were others who were thrilled that she was back, and I'm not suggesting she was angry about being healed, but for her personally, it meant she was on earth and not in heaven with Jesus. She would have enjoyed heaven much more than being raised back to life on earth. So this new life that she was given was for the sake of others. It was for the sake of her ministry to other people. It was so she could continue to minister to the practical needs of others. And she was raised, and as a result, many people came to know Christ as Savior. And for those of us who are Christians, we too, we have been raised to new life spiritually. We were dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1, but we have been made alive. We have been quickened. We passed from death to life because of Christ, John 5.24. And understand, we're left on this earth and not taken immediately to heaven for the benefit of others. As Christians, we're left here with a mission. And it's all about service and other people are to be the focus okay we are here for the benefit of others our job description is the great commission it's to live and share the gospel it is to make disciples it is to love and serve others for the lords okay so as christians we have this purpose infused into our existence the new life graciously bestowed upon us in christ okay it's not to be used to build the kingdom of self but it's to be used to invest in the kingdom of God because we don't belong to ourselves and hence we're to glorify God in our bodies 1 Corinthians six twenty, and we do this by serving others just like Jesus came to serve others that too is our mission new life has been given and we remain here rather than being immediately transported to heaven so that we can sacrificially serve others and fulfill the mission entrusted to us. And there's nothing as satisfying than fulfilling our divinely given purpose. That being to glorify God and enjoy him and advance his kingdom by loving him and loving others by serving sacrificially. That's the first lesson. The second lesson is the importance of practicality. What I love about Dorcas is that she was practical, 
and went about helping others in the everyday activities of life. And this is one key way that you and I express our love to one another and how we can have opportunities to share the gospel. It's by helping with the everyday matters of life. Okay, my friend, understand you don't have to be a gifted preacher or teacher. You don't need to be a church leader. You don't need to pack up your bags and head to the jungles as a missionary. You don't need to write Christian books. You don't need a theological education to serve the Lord and to serve others and have a massive impact. But rather, you can do the practical things in the church. You can do practical things for others just like Dorcas. And this is a tremendous ministry. And it's something that we can all do. How can I help others practically? That's the question for us to ask. Can I cook a meal for somebody? Can I mow someone's lawn? Can I mind children? Can, can I give some money that will help out practically? Can I buy clothes for somebody struggling? Can I cut down a tree or trim a hedge? Can I clean the church? Can I open my home for others? Can I iron some clothes and, and so on? How can I help others Practically, this is where the rubber meets the road. Okay, understand loving each other, it, it's not just a feeling. It, it's not just talk, it's action. And we can all do it. Okay, and my intention right now is I, I want to encourage you. Okay, I don't want to beat you up with the stick. This is all about encouragement. You can do practical things for the church, practical things for others, both great and small and have a huge difference in the lives of people. You know, it's a tremendous blessing to others when you do this. And our Lord says that even a cup of water given in his name will be rewarded. So the Lord blesses abundantly those who serve others practically. So let's be like Dorcas, who, who in reality was imitating her Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And let's look to serve others in practical ways. How can I be a blessing to someone else? How can I show love? Who can I help? How can I illustrate the gospel through practical means? That's what Christianity is all about. Okay, that, that is an outflow of a life that's been touched by the love and grace of Jesus. Okay, this is the fruit of the new life in Christ. That's lesson two. And lesson three is little things can have a huge impact. Little things can have a huge impact. It's interesting that we're still talking about Dorcas today. She would have never envis envisaged that. She never set out to be famous. She didn't aspire to be a leader. She would have never imagined the far-reaching consequences of her magnificent work. She didn't want the spotlight. She was content to serve in the shadows, but her faithfulness has had a massive impact. And again, I want to encourage you that you never know the impact you could be having on the life of someone else by serving them in practical ways, even in the little things. Okay, you, you never know the impact of the monetary gift or, or the kind deed. It, it could be a key catalyst in someone coming to Christ as Savior. It could be a key encouragement that motivates someone to continue living for the Lord. It could be fuel in the tank that, that enables a preacher or teacher to continue. You just never know. 
the far-reaching consequences of loving others through practicality. It could be life-changing and even have an eternal impact. Okay, this is the great reality of serving God. Okay, this is the wonder of investing in God's kingdom. You never know how great the dividends will be. And with God, even little things can be used to accomplish great things. As the hymn says that we're going to close with, little is much when God is in it. And hence I encourage you, be thinking of acts of practical service. Be, be thinking of ways that you can be a blessing to others and do it. Okay, that's the gospel displayed. That's the gospel illustrated. And even little things can have a great impact. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you. Uh, for this account uh, of Dorcas. And Lord, it's amazing to, to think that ministries are still named after her today. And uh, we know she was like this because of the great work uh, that you've done uh, in her life. And you know, her, her practical service was following the example uh, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who, who came not to be served, but to serve. And uh, Lord, I do pray uh, that like in everything else in life, you would help us uh, to be more like Jesus, and uh, help us to, to remember the great encouragement that uh, little is much when you were in it. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.